a Georgia business luncheon with a hearty side of politics. Georgia's economic development is a team sport. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of your political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome, and be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Patricia, it feels like this is a prelude to an even busier week, but I know we were all about all around Georgia this week already. While I was at the uh, the Georgia Chamber luncheon in Athens, where I bumped into so many of our listeners who were routinely making fun of me for my, for my travails at shortstop last <laughs> week, you were at the Rotary. No, no, I was at Rotary last week. I have a road trip event tomorrow. Event? That's it's not an event. It's me getting in my car. I have a road trip tomorrow. Today I was not in Athens because I had childcare issues, and um, we have school has not yet started. So as soon as school starts, I will no longer have childcare issues. <laughs> it's amazing how that happens. One I of know. my one of my kids, my seventh grader started school. My my fourth grader has yet to start school. She starts next week, but my seventh grader. Uh, it was a delight to walk her to the bus stop and completely humiliate her. I mean, just all out embarrassing oh, dad. Dad jokes. Dad jokes and kisses <laughs> and hugs and like trying to follow her up the yellow school bus. Bye, little baby boops. You know, do all that. Her rolling her eyes as her friends are like, oh, there's Mr. Bluestein at it again. Nicole's dad's at it again. It'll make her stronger. It'll make her stronger. But that's a heavy weight to carry, Greg. Yeah, it, yeah, I'd say you have a couple years left before that's completely verboten. I don't think for me it's ever ver- verboten. <laughs> I think it is a topic, but there, I have reached the point in my life where like nothing I say is right around them and my wife. There's just times where they're all rolling their eyes at me. I'm like, what did I do? I don't even know. <laughs> Todd wanted to sign up to be a room mom. And I'm like, I, I, I can't let you do that because they were like, dad, you're so embarrassing. So, you know, it's all going according to plan. Yeah. Uh, there was a time last year when I spoke to her, my, my middle schooler's career day, and the entire time I told her that we had come up with a skit and that they're, they're going to beam it across all the Cab County schools. So she's just mortified. And then when she finally found out, I was just joking about the skit. <laughs> her, her attitude changed. Okay. Well, we've got, anyway. Busy, yeah. anyway. we've got a busy show for you today. We're going to talk about the hearty dose of politics that the, the, the political cloud that loomed over the Georgia Chamber luncheon and the news that came out of that. And of course, we remain on indictment watch. We're going to talk about the silent treatment that both Democrats and Republicans are giving to the impending indictment, the likely indictment, the expected indictment of Donald Trump here in Metro Atlanta. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com 
and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Patricia, so I was at the Georgia Chamber's annual congressional luncheon where there was nonstop politics beneath all the talk of bipartisanship. So let's set the stage for this event. There's about a thousand attendees packed into the beautiful Classic Center in downtown Athens. Big name speakers, legislative leaders, grilled and fried chicken, plus some really solid pecan pie. Producer Shaney B was there as well. It started with Senator John Ossoff, who delivered a pointed message that sounded like it was aimed at a certain Republican governor. Here's what he said. You know, some may think about Georgia's economic development as a political contest for partisan credit. But Georgia's economic development is a team sport. And we're all on the same team, and that's Team Georgia. Patricia, that's a reference, we think, to the swipe by Governor Brian Kemp down in Bainbridge a few weeks ago, where he used a ribbon-cutting ceremony for a $800 million battery supplier that benefited from Joe Biden's green energy spending to take a swipe at Democrats way back then Kemp framed the state's green energy boom as the byproduct of state-level Republican policies and not, he said, because, quote, the federal government continues to put their thumb on the scale. So to me, Patricia, this comment from John Ossoff indicated game on. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it it's not just a veiled um, reference to Governor Kemp. I mean, that's a known reference to Governor Kemp because I've asked him specifically at events why is there so much back and forth about who gets the credit for these things, about the SK battery factory, about the broadband funding? You know, those are federal dollars, particularly on broadband, federal dollars announced at the state level. And I was asking about Governor Kemp and Ossoff said, look, th- this is not a team sport. I'm, wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> he said this is a team sport. This is. Yeah. Um, it's not about jerseys. It's not about, um, you know, who gets the credit when we can all get the credit. I mean, it actually often is about who gets the credit. That's what a lot of these campaigns are about. It's about pick me instead of the other guy, pick our party instead of their party, because we have the superior plan to deliver for you. So that's the political context. Um, the larger political context, of course, is the fact that John Ossoff is up in 2026, uh, which is a long way away from now. But because there are not statewide races on the 2024 ballot, the entire conversation in Georgia in terms of people's next moves has just raced ahead to 2026. And so the uh, broad assumption among Republicans is that Governor Kemp is giving that Senate race, that challenge to John Ossoff, a very hard look. So in Athens today, you have uh, John Ossoff and the sitting very powerful, very popular governor who's looking at taking a run against him. So everything that they say, either if they're in the same room or if in their different rooms, anything they say at this point is kind of taken in that context. Uh, You know, Ossoff sounds sincere when he says, why can't we all get the credit? But there's a good reason that everybody doesn't want everybody to get the credit because politics at the end of the day is a zero sum game. Yeah, especially when elections are right around the corner. I'll say that uh, Senator Ossoff, even before the event, he had a pr- little press conference with uh, with a, a few members of the media where he made that point. He said, "Look, I didn't uh, th- I didn't invite this fight. <laughs> you know, uh, I think this is this can be a zero. I think this can be something that both Democrats and Republicans benefit from. But also, I'm not going to shy away from promoting the fact, in his view, that." that these federal incentives directly led 
to some of these business developments. And we, we know from the business developments who have cited, you know, including this battery supplier down in Bainbridge that were, that were sort of the setting for this fight. This battery supplier received more than $100 million in federal federal incentives from, from initiatives from the White House that were sponsored by the White House. So this is going to be something that continues to color uh, not just business discussions, but everything to do with 2024 and frankly, 2026, especially as the governor says himself that we're in the middle of this business revolution as green energy jobs continue to surge in Georgia. And one of the reasons why, and even the, the green energy executives, they say one of the reasons they're coming is suddenly there's billions of dollars worth of incentives on the table, encouraging the shift to electric vehicles and encouraging consumers to go buy cleaner alternative energy uh, products. Yeah, and there are also loads of incentives at the state level. When Governor Kemp goes overseas to make a pitch to companies, he's competing against South Carolina and Texas and Florida. Um, you know, what kind of a tax incentive package can you give us, Governor? Well, we just heard something better from Governor Ivey in Alabama. Can you do better than that? Um, so there are incentives at the state level. There's incentives at the federal level. And these companies are looking for cheap land educated workers, um, and no taxes. <laughs> so who's going to give us that delicious menu, that delicious buffet of goodies? Um, and Georgia has come up really strong lately because of the state and federal incentives together. Now, I hear whenever I say that on this podcast, I always hear from people on one side or the other who are like, no, but the companies tell us, hey, we'll take it all. They are not picking and choosing. But Greg, I have a question for you since you were in the room. So this is typically a, a pretty republic, quite Republican audience. It's sort yeah. of considered very obviously business friendly because it's a business. Um, Ossoff is one of the first statewide Democrats to speak to the chamber at this event because he's one of the first statewide Democrats to exist in a long time. So I'd be interested to, to hear how was the reception for him and especially how was the reception when he said this doesn't have to be a competition, this should be a team sport. What was the mood in the room when he said that? It's such a good question because I it was tepid applause. There was, there was some applause. There was a handful of Democratic lawmakers there. But you're right, this is... This was described to me by one Democrat as John Ossoff going to the belly of the beast, uh, the, the, the maw of the GOP. It wasn't quite, you know, that uh, onerous of a situation. Of course, there's plenty of Democrats in the room of, th of a thousand people. There's lots of aides and operatives and lobbyists. But it was a, this has traditionally been a very conservative audience. This is and this group, the Georgia Chamber, has long pushed very conservative issues, right? Um including one we're about to talk about known as tort reform. Um, but as exciting as that sounds, but Ossoff wasn't roundly rejected. It was just, uh, it was, it, here's what one democratic official texted me with permission, of course, um, to repeat it. This official said, I feel like I'm watching a couple fighting and it's so tense, LOL. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. Who's, I mean, just, who's fighting? Ossoff and Kemp? Ossoff and Kemp, because it was very clear after John Ossoff said what he said, it was aimed at, of course, Governor Kemp. You said it wasn't really even veiled. Um, this has been a, it's been a known tiff between them over green energy incentives and the feud over, over the debate over how they're impacting Georgia. And so, most people in the room were also in the know. This wasn't sort of, th this is a very connected yeah. audience uh, to, to politics in Georgia. So yeah, it was a little bit awkward. Um, he also, 
is not afraid, John Ossoff is not afraid to go to a setting where he's not going to be universally welcomed. And I look back at just a few years ago, and Senator Warnock gave a, a speech at another Georgia Chamber event called Eggs and Issues Breakfast back in 2022, where he also delivered a message that was not universally welcomed. His was for federal voting rights, and he got a very tepid applause too. And so maybe that's a trend we're seeing right now. Maybe we're starting to see, now that we have Democratic statewide elected officials who are in positions of power, uh, you know, Ossoff certainly wasn't out there, elbows out, fighting and, and attacking Republicans, but his message was, hey, bipartisanship uh, Economic development can be a team sport. We don't all, we can all share some of the credit. And even a message like that, you know, when it's, when it's also a snap at, uh, at the governor, might not be universally welcome, but certainly I'm, I'm sure some of the business exe- executives might have, uh, might have agreed with him. And some, some others might not have. Yeah. And I think, you know, listen, I think it's smart. I think it's important for politicians to go into rooms where they're not universally welcomed, you know, right? So that's how we get to, compromises. That's how people can see politicians and leaders who they don't always agree with and see them in person, get a feel for them, who they are, sense their character that's not in a campaign commercial, it's not an attack ad. And that's that can be how you kind of smooth some of the rough edges in this in kind of this really hot, heated partisanship. And so for all of um kind of the the parents, the analogy to a couple fighting, I mean they're keeping it very civil, aren't they, between Kemp and Ossoff. It's just sort of like a you know, it's sort of like a, a staring contest at 10 paces. This is not uh, verbal attacks. This is not going after each other. This is just sort of a, you know, a little ding here and a little ding there. If Ossoff, as he looks to run statewide, can keep his really loyal base of Democratic support and also even just neutralize some Republicans and convince some Republicans that he's not the worst thing that ever happened, uh, that it's okay to have a Democrat and a statewide office in the Senate who is who is not hostile to business. Um, that's a good message for business leaders to leave with, even if they don't feel like they might support him in the future, might not vote for him in the future. Mm-hmm. If they just if they don't just live life assuming that he's hostile to business, but just because he's a Democrat, that's a good, that's a, that's time well spent for John Ossoff. And look, the senator has been honing this sort of message about bipartisanship long before last year's midterm, but he certainly watched with very close interest about how his Democratic colleague, Senator Raphael Warnock, won re-election. And yes, it helped that he had an opponent like Herschel Walker, who has struggled with scandals and uh, erratic statements and bizarre behavior and an inability to, to answer questions about his policy stances. But it also... Senator Warnock also had to run a very effective campaign and his campaign focused on this bipartisanship, right? We we would be at campaign events where we'd literally see jaws drop, you know, from folks in the audience as Raphael Warnock talked about working with Ted Cruz on a highway bill or Marco Rubio uh, or fighting Joe Biden's military plans to close down an installation in Southeast Georgia or, you know, speaking more about working with ultra conservative Republicans um, than he did about working with liberal Democrats, right? Oh, for sure. And speaking now that you just mentioned um, Senator Warnock, he was just on Martha Zoller's radio show. She has been trying to book him 
for Forever. years <laughs> for years she tweeted and finally. he finally went on um and you know those are the types of shows um speaking of people who might not agree with you um that maybe you don't do when you're in cycle and he has frankly been in cycle literally for four years so now that he's out of cycle he went up to Gainesville he did talk about Marco Rubio did talk about the bill that they've introduced together um about uh health care peace even Martha's co-host was saying Senator Warnock thank you for coming I agree with you on insulin. I'm on insulin. People like me need this. So just a very productive conversation. So that that's a little bit of an aside, but that's my early preview to my who's up for the week. <laughs> Martha Zoller <laughs> is up. Okay, that's a yeah. good place to take a break. When we get back, we're going to talk a little bit more about Governor Kemp's new initiative that he unveiled at the luncheon, as well as more on Indictment Watch. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. Hip hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song. A celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-Hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Your host, Greg Bluestein, and Patricia Murphy are also two of the four Morning Jolt newsletter authors. The Morning Jolt newsletter sets the stakes in the agenda in Georgia politics, and you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast and get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast so you always know What's really going on? And a quick programming note, as I said, for nothing has happened to our wonderful Washington correspondent, Tia Mitchell, who is actually at the chamber luncheon. She's in town for a couple of days. Uh, but we have added a new member of our team who we're going to introduce you to on the show in the next couple of days and weeks. It is Adam Van Brimmer, who is taking over the sort of morning, early morning duties of the jolt that Patricia's done for so long. And he's also becoming our Savannah Bureau Chief. So he's going to cover politics, policy, all sorts of general news and breaking news and and news out of coastal Georgia and also jolt duties. Yes, this is one of the most exciting developments in my <laughs> life. <laughs> Since I found out I was having twins. <laughs> I mean, this has been a big one. Um, so Adam was uh, the assistant editor at the Savannah Morning News. Very well known in journalism circles and to any politicians from Southeast Georgia. Um, really seasoned and also willing to set his alarm for first thing in the morning. So he is taking over that early morning shift. I'll still be writing my items for the jolt. The dog of the day will continue to exist. Nobody panic. Um, but Adam is... Is so is such a great addition. And I love having now boots on the ground in Savannah because we know from our own research and just our own anecdotal experience that Atlanta readers want to read about Atlanta and Savannah. They want to know about the coast. They want to know about the squares. They want to know about um, what's happening down there. And so Adam's going to be a terrific addition to that as well. 
We are thrilled to have Adam. We're going to introduce our listeners to him shortly. And as we keep on saying, we have more news to come. This is the first time I've ever worked at a news organization that is growing <laughs> in my career. And so it's pretty cool because every every place I've been to has kind of been, uh, I don't say winding down, but but battling attrition. <laughs> managing and, decline. Managing, <laughs> and uh, with the help of the Cox family. <laughs> Our, our corporate overlords and a new publisher, Andrew Morris, and a new editor, Leroy Chapman. We've gotten a wave of, of new investment. Um, I don't think I'm going out of bounds by saying any of this stuff. I don't know how many new employees will end up uh, hiring, but it is really cool to see a wave of new staffers who have already been hired. Adam is not the only one. We've announced several editors in other parts of the paper and several, several new staffers. And there's, there's jobs on the job posting board. So very exciting news. Okay, Patricia, beyond what we heard from Senator Ossoff and, and Governor Kemp about economic development, I think the biggest news of the day was Governor Kemp unveiled a push for changes to Georgia's litigation laws that could make it harder to bring lawsuits and potentially try to curb jury verdicts. This is known as tort reform. Uh, to, to, to folks who are not in the legal field or in the insurance industry or the medical industry, this could seem um, very dry and boring subject matter, but Trust me when I say this is one of the biggest battles under the Georgia Gold Dome. This has been something that's been waged for decades, uh, and it pits those industries all against each other. Democrats usually line up with the trial lawyers. Republicans usually line up with the insurance industry and the big businesses, but not always. It's not a clean, you know, it's not a clean field of battle, so to say. Um, but this is something that really, when Republicans, uh, to give you an idea of how important it is, when Republicans took control of the entire Georgia General Assembly uh, after the 2004 elections, they made tort reform. They made this push their top priority in 2005. And since then, the courts have whittled away at some of the, the elements of the law, including what we call $350,000 caps on pain and suffering uh, jury verdicts. There is a chance Governor Kemp tries to reinstate those. There's a chance he goes towards all sorts of new parts of what advocates have long sought in terms of trying to make it harder to bring lawsuits and trying to encourage more out-of-court settlements. We don't really know. The governor issued some pretty broad guidelines, Patricia, basically saying he wants whatever legislation comes out of next year's session to lower insurance premiums and to boost jobs in Georgia. Yeah, and it's really important that he's coming to the chamber and laying out his top priority for the next legislative session. Um, at least it will be among his among his top priorities because Kemp, quite frankly, after a lot of successes legislatively, is kind of running out of things on his to-do list. He's already done guns. He's already done abortion. He's already done tax cuts. He's done a lot of the economic development pieces. So what when he comes to the legislature and says, I want you to pass this, it usually passes. Now, mm -hmm. this is a general assembly full of lawyers. So tort reform can sometimes run into some stumbling blocks because of that, um, because that can really affect the livelihoods of some of the guys who are guys and men and women who are um, being asked to pass these laws. It gets incredibly complicated, but it's always, as you said, a big, big priority for businesses. They feel like it, you know, kind of impedes their ability, their freedom to do business. They they call them frivolous lawsuits. Anybody on the other end of one of those frivolous lawsuits who feels like they've been damaged by a business or negligence by a business disagrees. And that that's the kind of testimony that comes up. It's often very personal and it's sometimes harder to get across the finish line than you would think. So for Kemp to 
really put his weight behind it this far ahead of the session is very, very relevant. I had thought coming into this, he would be talking about kind of not not more arcane, but more nuts and bolts issues related to economic development. There was a panel about workforce housing, which sounds like about the most boring thing you could ever start to talk about. But it's so important for these towns that are looking at having these mega plants in their neighborhoods. There's nowhere for people to live. There are schools that are going to be too small for them to go to. There are roads that haven't been built yet. There is a lot of nuts and bolts infrastructure that needs to be attended to. I'm hearing that from these towns and these mayors in these small towns. So I I had assumed that that would be kind of the top of the governor's list. But for tort reform to be up there is a real signal that that's something that the legislature is going to need to pay attention to pronto when they gavel into session in January. Yet again, we don't have any specifics from the governor about what that looks like, but we know this is part and parcel of a broader effort to reshape the judiciary. This, this, if he succeeds with this legislation to remake the tort laws in Georgia, and you combine that with a new law that he signed just a few weeks ago that creates a new state panel that could punish or even oust prosecutors who, who are deemed to be not following the law, you're talking about two fundamental changes um, to the court system in Georgia and something that a Republican conservative governor, um, you know, after a second term in office can say, can look back to it and at least say to his supporters that he fulfilled campaign promises to, in the governor's words, to create a more level playing field in the court system. Of course, critics have a very different view of what those two pieces of legislation will do. So let's shift gears and talk about the indictment waiting game that we are now in hearing in Georgia, as we still await Fannie Willis's decision on whether to bring criminal charges against Donald Trump and his allies here in Georgia. Because even though we seem to be on the cusp of a decision that could come uh, within the next few days, no one seems to want to talk about it, at least not on the record. And of course, we're not talking about us here in the media, but politicians from both sides of the aisle. Let's start with Republicans, even Governor Kemp and the other mainstream Republicans who were the targets of Donald Trump's fury, they're not eager to go out there and bring up these indictments, of course. And when asked about them, they're more often than not going to criticize the Justice Department, criticize the delay, the, the length of time that District Attorney Fannie Willis took to, to issue her announcement, and really say very little negative about Donald Trump. Th- those We're talking now about, about those who on the Republican Party who are... Uh, not aligned with Donald Trump. His supporters will echo his mantra that this is a witch hunt. And some of them are even saying we should defund the FBI and the Justice Department. There was a CBS poll that came out earlier this week that showed that 59% of Americans, and not 59% of Republicans, but 59% of Americans think that these indictments have been brought in order to stop Trump from winning the 2024 campaign. Um, To me, that was an extraordinary number because it shows how effective Trump's messaging has been. Um, When he says that these are not prosecutions, they're persecutions, that there are, you know, you could, we could all repeat what he says because we hear it so often. It's a two-tiered justice system that uh, the Department of Justice under Merrick Garland is going after him and not after Hunter Biden, although Hunter Biden has actually already been charged. There is a a mantra that has become a national mindset, really, um, quite over 
the objections of Democrats. Now, Democrats aren't talking about it either. I think that's a problem. I think they are following the traditional route of, well, we don't discuss ongoing litigation. You know, it's a very traditional, polite way to deal with something like this. But if you even look at the people who are running against Trump, the other campaigns, the other Republicans running for that 2024 nomination, I mean, they are parroting exactly what Donald Trump says when they are on the campaign trail running against Donald Trump. (laughs) They don't talk about Donald Trump. But they do, uh, you know, Ron DeSantis is one of them. Uh, He was just out in Iowa over the weekend promising to clear out the DOJ and appoint a new FBI director on day one. He said, we're going to stop the weaponization of federal power. Um, Perry Johnson is a businessman who's also running. He was at the same event. He said, it's unfair that we start picking on our own candidates and let the Democrats decide who should be running. He has also promised to get rid of the FBI. So has Vivek Ramaswamy. So this is a theme throughout the entire Republican field with a few exceptions, including Mike Pence. Mm-hmm. Um, they are and Chris Christie, right? And Chris Christie, of course, but they are fought, they are not just not talking about it. They are giving Donald Trump space to make his argument. They are giving him cover. They are saying the DOJ is weaponized, that there is a two-tier system of justice. Instead of running against Donald Trump, it kind of looks like they're running to be his running mate. It's a very strange campaign that's happening in Iowa and New Hampshire. We don't see it every day. But that is certainly one of the main themes. It's it's not like the Trump indictments are are sort of interfering with the campaign. Like, they are the campaign. That is all that is being discussed. It's what's getting the media. And it's even what the other candidates are building their campaigns around. And it's just fascinating. And and Trump says, and he's not wrong, that every time there's an indictment, it makes him stronger. Yeah. And look, uh, Patricia, I'm glad you mentioned the Democratic side of the card too, because I was up in Blue Ridge at a Democratic event. And I told one of my editors, on the way up there, I said, look, this is either going to be all about Donald Trump or not about Donald Trump at all. And I was betting on the latter because what we haven't seen a lot is Democrats making, trying to make a lot of political hay. Of course, they're talking about it. Of course, it's it's top of mind to so many people. I joked, I was on a TV hit last night. I joked that it's all people talking about the coffee shop, at the gym, at the, my kids' carpool lines in my neighborhood. It is on the top of so many voters' minds. And so certainly Democrats were thinking about it too, but they are not making it a key part of their their message to voters right now at all. And at, at that event in Blue Ridge, there was about a half a dozen or so um, key Democratic leaders in Georgia who are all appealing to conservatives who live in a very red part of the North Georgia mountains. And not once did Donald Trump's name come up, not once did the legal problems come up. I asked a, f- a few of them afterwards, okay, so tell me the strategy. They said, look, we're talking about what voters care about, which is the economy, which is abortion rights, which is firearms control, which is public safety, right? But also, of course, they're following the lead of President Joe Biden because Democrats at state and federal levels worry that talking about the courtroom peril that Donald Trump faces could fuel that Republican narrative that they amount to a coordinated attack by a weaponized Justice Department, exactly what you were just saying. So Democrats have been loath, have been reluctant to, to bring up this as a talking point as well. And in a strange way, their silence is fueling that um, those suspicions by just not talking about it, by not denying it. They are implicitly they are just allowing that accusation to stand unchallenged. Um, now, it, it's true though. If if President Biden was out there saying, "And look, he just got indicted for the third time," you know, obviously people would say, "Well, yes," and it was the Justice Department who did it. 
Joe Biden is so old school, it's highly possible that he has a, you know, a standing request, please don't tell me what's happening. But he kind of knows what direction this is going in. I think we all do. And so it is a really delicate balancing act. And I don't know what's the right thing for them to do. But the message is certainly getting away from them, it feels like. It feels like Donald Trump is saying, there's a two-tiered system of justice. And this is all rigged against me. And a very large share of the American public agrees. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that he would win the White House if the election was tomorrow. I think there are plenty of Republicans who are saying, can we please just not have this actually be our campaign? Can we talk about (laughs) something else or get somebody else? Democrats, likewise, would love to also have somebody else. They're like, can we possibly get some fresh legs around here? Um, But that's just not the direction that this is going right now. No, I I bet I have a feeling that that more Georgia Democrats are going to have the option to talk about these indictments in the very near future um, as we continue to wait on the indictment watch. That's all the time we have for today's show. Thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can find links to all the stories we talked about today in the episode summary of this podcast. We release new episodes every Wednesday, every Friday, whenever big news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC.